It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. On your Tuesday episode of Locked On Raptors, we dig into your mailbag questions coming out of Media Day. Lots of questions about things that were said. For example, Pascal Siakam's declaration that he wants to be a top five player. How can he get there? We'll answer that question and so many more on today's episode of Locked On Raptors. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So I don't shoot trying to miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, Every day. Canada, the NBA title is yours. We're going to the free top of the Hail Mary 3 by Mopi. Get that garbage out of here. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 1249 of Locked on Raptors for Tuesday, September the 27th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley, author of We the Champs. You can find me on Twitter at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked on Raptors. And you can follow, subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast for free on all your favorite podcast apps. We're also on YouTube. You can go and support the show over there. Hit the big red subscribe button. We're pushing towards 3,000 subs. It'd be awesome if we can get there. Thanks to the video viewers. Thanks to the audio listeners for being here here and for making us your first listen of the day each and every day we're back to daily baby we love it it's awesome and the season is drawing near we're five days out from the preseason opener against the utah jazz on sunday it's all very exciting and we have lots of mailbag questions to dig into on a mailbag edition of the podcast we've got other great stuff coming up later in the week as well some great guests and uh, that's going to be a ton of fun but for now it's just me you get to hang out with me and i get to answer your questions. Before we do that, though, I have a bit of a strange request, and this is largely uh, from my wife. I'm a person, if you watch the video versions of this show, you can see that I have horrible posture. I have like slumpy Quasimodo shoulders. I sit far too often. I don't stretch enough. I don't do upper arm workouts at all. I'm, I'm a bike man, so every day is leg day when I work out. 
And so my upper body is just kind of like a slumping uh, accordion that's fallen over. And I'm asking for your help to kind of shame me into sitting better when I record these podcasts. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you, if you are a viewer of the videos, if you want to drop in the YouTube comments some sort of lighthearted insult, commenting on the horrible state of my posture over the course of this week, I will select the best insult, and I will send you a prize. I haven't yet determined the prize, but I will send you a prize. We'll we'll sort it out. Uh, we'll get your mailing address and all that stuff. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's the prize. That's the thing I'm asking you to do, is shame me into sitting like an adult with actual posture, and this could be a fun little thing we do on the podcast. It's fun to make fun of Sean, isn't it? So yeah, get your best insults. Sean is so slouchy, he looks like blank. I don't know. Come up with your own form of the joke, I don't care. Feel free to insult me. I have a thick skin. So uh, yeah, that, that is my request off the top of the show. I asked you to send in mailbag questions. I'm also asking you to insult me on my posture. And so uh, th th there we go. That That's just a strange, small request to get things rolling today uh, and a fun little contest as the season draws near. Okay, with that, let's start off with uh, some mailbag questions, shall we? We got lots of good ones here. This one comes in from Matt T asking a question that comes out of media day yesterday. You know, one of the sort of headliney things. It wasn't something that really registered with me all that much to be truthful because all players think highly of themselves and I don't really think that's much to, you know, make a lot of news out of, but Pascal Siakam, did say that he would like to be regarded as a top five player in the NBA. And the question here from Matt T is, Pascal said he wants to be one of the best players in the league. What are some steps he can take to reach that goal? And look, I'm not going to lie. I don't think it's terribly likely that Pascal Siakam is ever going to be a top five player in the NBA. And that's not a crazy thing to say because there are very few players who have ever lived who have been good enough to be considered one of the five best players in the NBA at a given time. The NBA is stacked right now. Giannis Antetokounmpo ain't going anywhere. Luka Doncic ain't going anywhere. Nikola Jokic ain't going anywhere. Joel Embiid's really awesome. Jason Tatum's on the rise. We have the sort of old guard as well. Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, all the way on down. It's very difficult to crack into that upper stratosphere of players in the league. And so I don't think it's like if I'm a Raptors fan hearing Pascal say that I'm not going out and holding him to that by any means and saying, oh, you have to be a top five player now. Otherwise, I'm mad at you. That would be ridiculous because being a top five player is very, very hard and very, very rare. That said, Pascal is not all that far off by NBA standards. He, of course, was an all NBA player last season. He's very, very good. What does he have to do to sort of find his way, become a miracle developmental story, a 27th overall pick who manages to find his way into the top five of the NBA? Uh, like, there, there are a few things he can do. And first, we should probably make a distinction here, right? Like, there's being one of the five best players in the NBA, and there's being one of the five best players in a given season. And I think that is certainly on the table for Pascal. If the Raptors come out and win a whole bunch of games this season. Pascal is their best player. He repeats or improves upon what he did last season where he was an all-NBA player. I could totally see him being in the conversation, the big air quotes there, for like the back end of the MVP bout this season. Like we see guys all the time on sort of surprise squads. That fifth spot on the MVP ballot is usually earmarked for some random surprise guy. DeMar DeRozan was in that conversation last year, for example. Like, I could totally see 
Pascal finding his way into that conversation. Does that mean he's one of the five best players in the world? Probably not, because there's all these different circumstances that go on. If the Raptors overperform, their wins will probably drive those votes quite a bit. Um, so I, I don't think any in any world you're looking at the end of this season as Pascal Siakam being a top five player in the NBA. And I'm saying this is one of the most bullish Pascal Siakam believers that there is. It's just being realistic. That said, you know, if he can kind of carve his way into that top five this season, I think there are a few things that'll probably happen. One, he probably has to uptick his usage just a little bit. And I know that's crazy to say because he was the highest usage guy in the team last season. He led the league in isolations. But typically you see the statistical profile of guys who are in that upper stratosphere of the league. They have the ball in their hands all the time. Everything runs through them because they're the best players in the NBA. You'd be stupid not to run everything through them if you're a head coach. And so just to sort of pull up a few basic numbers to compare Pascal Siakam with, say, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Jason Tatum, Luka Doncic, three guys who I think you could say either are in that top five or knocking on the door of that top five. Last year, Pascal had a 27.3 usage rate per clean the glass, the 93rd percentile, so still very high up. But then you go over to Giannis, 35.7% usage, 99th percentile. Jason Tatum, 32% usage, 97th percentile. Luka Doncic, 42.4% usage, 100th percentile. Again, all these numbers per cleaning the glass. Like, that's just an insane burden put on those players, and they're able to hold up under it. All of them are more efficient than Pascal Siakam was last season on way higher usage, way more burdened with the ball in their hands. And that's why they're top five players. It's just kind of the basic, uh, you know, it, it's not rocket science here. The numbers can kind of paint the picture of a top five guy, but also you kind of just know with top five guys, right? And so I don't think Pascal is on those levels. And when it comes to sort of points per shot attempted, this is the catch-all for, you know, free throws, threes, twos, etc. from cleaning clean the glass. Pascal Siakam last year, 57th percentile, 113.2 points per shot attempt, which is not bad by any means. Upper half of the league, considering the supporting cast he had around him at times last year with the injuries the Raptors dealt with. Pretty impressive that he was able to be that efficient. You look at Giannis Antetokounmpo, 126.9 points per shot attempt. That's the 77th percentile. You got uh, Jason Tatum, 116.8 points per shot attempt. Still ahead of Siakam, 77th percentile. And then you've got... Uh, the percentiles are off there a little bit, I think. But either way, uh, 116.8 points per shot attempt. And then 114.3 for Luka Doncic, who, of course carries the biggest burden of any player in the NBA because he's playing with a bunch of humps a lot of the time. And so it, it just, I don't know if the environment's ever going to be there for Pascal to reach those levels of efficiency on that crazy level of volume. He's there playmaking wise. It should be noted, like in terms of the, 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 the ranks for him when it comes to assist percentage, he's at 22.5%, 91st percentile, uh, you know, the percentage of his teammates that made shots the player assisted on. Um, yeah, he, he is very good when it comes to that. But Giannis, again, 30.3 assist percentage. Jason Tatum, a little bit below Pascal. uh, And Luka Doncic is like the number one guy, 45.8% assist percentage. He's ridiculous. So look, it's, it's just hard to be what those top five guys are. Pascal is very close. He's an excellent player. There's probably going to be some sort of growth from him this season, I would say. You know, whether it's a little bit of an uptick in three-point shooting, just a little bit more refinement in the sort of in-between areas where he was really fantastic last year. This is not to say I don't think Pascal is going to be amazing. I think he stands a very good chance of making All-NBA again. He should be a no-brainer All-Star in the Eastern Conference. He's probably 
one of the six or seven best players in the entire conference when you sort of line them all up. And so there's nothing wrong if he's not a top five guy. I just think it's pretty hard to see a world in which he achieves the level of usage and volume and efficiency that the top guys tend to, especially when you factor in that Scotty Barnes is going to be a bigger part of the equation this season, is probably going to have the ball in his hands more, might take away some of that extra burden from Pascal. And ultimately, that's probably a good thing. You'll get a more efficient Pascal Siakam that way, a less taxed Pascal Siakam. But, of course, it's going to come at the expense of him being declared one of the five best players alive which again not many people get the distinction of that and so i don't think there's any shame in him not being that and i just don't think it's realistic or fair to ask him to do that because that's literally the hardest jump to make in the nba is from being between the 15th and 10th best player into being a top five player no doubt okay this guy swings the championship conversation every season he steps on the floor or does not step on the floor in the case of a guy like Kawhi leonard for example pascal's just a little bit of a smidge below those guys and that's totally fine, baby. We'll continue on here and get into more of your mailbag questions. Round out this here episode. We got some good ones uh, regarding the use of Christian Coloco, who got some high praise from Fred Van Vliet yesterday. And who's better, Scotty or OG? That's a fun one, too. We'll get to that in just a sec. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at betonline.ag, your number one spot for football betting info this season. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, injury reports, news, podcasts, in-depth articles, and analysis on every game you can find. And as always, Bet Online remains your continued source for all your sports wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. Look, I am not a huge gambler, and I'm not really a football fan, but sometimes I find myself in a social situation where people are watching football near me, and the thing that I do to make that more fun is, all right, I'll throw some money on some of these games to at least give myself a rooting interest, even though I don't really care about the outcome. And that's great. And bet online is the way that I can become the informed wager. Instead of just throwing my money away, betting on the teams that stink, I can figure out, okay, who are the teams that the smart people are betting on? And how can I go and earn some money by betting on those teams? Bet online is a source for that. They also have everything you need for MLB, NBA, NHL, MMA, boxing, golf, everything else that you might want to throw some money down on. They can make you the informed wager. Head to betonline.net or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online is where the game starts. Hey guys, it's Walker Mail, host of the Locked On Hornets podcast, and being around sports media and a fan of the Hornets for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what-if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one-yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip actually have landed Magic in Chicago, Michael in L.A., and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former Sports Center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, new goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. And we continue on here with your mailbag edition of Locked On Raptors here on a Tuesday. Just a heads up for the rest of the week, the game plan Wednesday, James Herbert, our pal from CBSSports.com is going to pop by. We're going to take a look at the Eastern Conference and sort of reassess things now that things seem to be a little bit weird with the Boston Celtics in particular. Uh, on Thursday, we're going to have Karina Mustafa stop by. We're going to play a round of what's more likely one of my favorite games we do on the podcast. And then on Friday, Louis Zatzman is going to come by and we're going to talk about the Raptors offense and how they can make it less bad. But for now, 
Let's get into a few more mailbag questions. This one here comes from Epic Mopis. Uh, let me find the question here on a little ticker asking, what are your personal feelings on being patient with this team versus expecting more winning results? When do you start to get antsy if this team doesn't show enough progress? And this was a thing we talked about on yesterday's show. Great question from one of the GOAT question askers of Lockdown Raptors, Epic Mopis on Twitter. Um, so we talked about this yesterday, right? This was a, a prevailing thing, I think, mostly from Masai Ujiri's press conference at Media Day, where he spoke about realizing that this team's not going to go win a title this season in all likelihood, and sort of trying to then figure out what success looks like for this team. And he does really, really like, hammer home, we're about winning, we're not about anything else, we're about winning. And so you would have to assume that you know winning games is going to be a thing that they're going to use to evaluate the season. But I really think more so this season is going to be evaluated upon what individual guys do in terms of their growth track. And all right, what's the trajectory for this guy? What's this guy's long-term slot with this team, et cetera, et cetera. That feels like, the real barometer for success this year. And for me, I, I think people who know this show have listened for a long time. I tend to be pretty laid back. I think I uh, you know, take things, I, I more so appreciate the existence of basketball for six months of the year, more so than I appreciate the rush to go win a title. Like I, I just kind of like watching cool and fun basketball more than anything else. And so I'm probably more inclined to be patient than the average person who maybe is a little bit more sort of living with the wins and losses. Um, that's not to say that's a bad thing by any means. I'm not telling you how to be a fan, but you know, I kind of prefer the sort of slow burn of a season over the sort of title implications of every single thing. Uh, so I'm probably more okay with the idea of patience. And I do think like this season's probably where that'll run out. You know, I keep on hearkening back to, well, they just won a title so recently. They just won a title so recently. And they did win a title very recently, but it's going to be four years out from that by the time this uh, season wraps up. And at that point, yeah, maybe the honeymoon phase after the title starts to dwindle just a little bit. I think it's been made easier to cope to post-championship life because Scotty Barnes is freaking awesome and Pascal Siakam's been a delight and they were awesome in the defense season in 2019-20 before COVID shut that all down. And so it's been kind of easy to be patient and hang back and not really feel like, okay, they got to go push for it. But the, I think the contract situations on the team, you know, the Gary Trent Jr., the Fred Van Vliet of it all, the eventual Pascal Siakam extension questions and the OG Ananobi stuff, like that stuff's going to rear its head in the years to come. And so this year does feel like the last wait and see season, the last let's see what we got season. And going forward this offseason and beyond, it feels like, okay, how do we fix what we got to make sure it's championship ready or contender ready? And that feels like what the course is going to be. So yeah, if there's not a lot of progress this season, I'm totally fine in sort of like taking a big, you know, 100,000 foot view of the franchise and saying, all right, Scotty stays, who stays with Scotty, figure out the rest of there, maybe move some guys out, sort of change the, the dynamics of the team a little bit. If there's not progress this year, which I think most people are expecting progress this year. So it's weird to kind of talk in this framing because I don't expect this is going to be a disappointing season based on, you know, what we saw last year from the team, a very incomplete version of the team with the guys coming in, the internal growth. Like, it just feels like the natural step forward for this team is going to take place this year. That said, these things aren't linear and seasons from hell happen all the time. And if this is a year where, you know, guys get injured or there is stagnation, Scotty Barnes can't figure out his shot, whatever it might be, then maybe you start to get a little less patient. And I think that's totally fine. Like, I, I think this is the last year of sort of the honeymoon phase, happy-go-lucky, everyone's sunshine and roses, the team is so cool and fun and weird. After this, 
if things don't go well or if they don't even if they're just like what they were last year i can see the patience kind of running thin for the raptors front office and i think that's fair like you you can't just let it be happy-go-lucky three, four, five seasons in a row and just hope it all works out, right? You have to be building towards something, and I think this season will be big for getting the information on what exactly it is they're building towards. But a very good question from our pal, Epic Mobbis. Uh This question here comes from our dude, Freddie Rivas, past and future guest of the podcast, asking, simply, who is currently the better player between Scotty Barnes and OG Ananobi? This one is very difficult because... Like, had you talked to me before the All-Star break last year, I would have said OG. His defense is just uh, undeniable. He is such a great gap filler. He is the kind of guy you need on the floor if you're going to be a team with any designs and anything ambitious. But as Scotty kind of leveled up in the back part of last year with the ball in his hands, he just seems to have a little bit more of a natural playmaking inclination and more of a natural scorer's inclination. He just seems like he's, I don't think it's like telling tales at a school to say he's going to be a better player than OG Ananobi, potentially by as soon as mid-season this year. But I guess when I think about better, the the sort of, maybe this is an incorrect framing of it, maybe this is not your interpretation of the word, but I tend to sort of view it as which guy drives performance the most? Which guy is on the floor when the Raptors are performing well the most? And that's not an entirely great catch-all thing because you know Chris Boucher drove performance better than most Raptors last season do I think Chris Boucher is the second best Raptor no I don't it's all about the context in which he played it's a little easier I think with OG and Scotty since they are such prominent pieces to kind of do that and and I think you know it's tough because I think OG is kind of the guy who's going to drive winning the most right now with what he does with the defense with the three-point shooting with the you know efficient sort of off-ball scoring like that's all incredibly important stuff but it's also kind of hard to not look at Scotty Barnes and just say, yeah, but like, it, he's Scotty Barnes. Look at him. He's throwing no-look passes like a maniac, and he is rangy and long, and he's, you know, bouncing his way into, you know, three-foot hook shots that no one can stop. He kind of feels like the better basketball player than OG Ananobi. So while right now OG's defense might drive performance a little bit more, I kind of just think this is one where you don't have to think about it all that much. Just look at the two guys play. Scotty Barnes pops off the screen more to me. I think he's probably the better player right now, but it's a toss-up, and I don't think that's decided. That said, I think this is not even a question worth asking by December or January because I kind of feel like there's going to be some special stuff happening with Scotty here in your number two. And like that's not to say I don't think OG's going to have a good year either. I just kind of think we know what OG is, and that's an excellent basketball player, but I don't know if he has that sort of tantalizing ceiling that is flashed by Scotty Barnes and I guess the question of ceiling is it not the question that's being asked here at all I'm not really answering this question very well I would say Scotty's the better basketball player right now even if OG is maybe the guy that drives performance a little bit more for this team it's tough stuff it's a very good question uh let's continue on here one more question before we get to the break this one comes from Balch asking are we sure Christian Coloco will be in the G League for most of the season? Fred Van Vliet pointed out he wanted a big, said they got one, which I'm interpreting as though he thinks he's ready. Very good question. Fred did talk about Christian Coloco yesterday. Nick Nurse also talked about Coloco yesterday, talking about, hey, we got a big, that's great. He also said this in the middle of a screed where he was basically like, yeah, but we don't really need bigs, right? Like, it, it was, it, I, I think the Fred Van Vliet excitement for Christian Coloco was a little more obvious and prominent than Nick Nurse's appreciation of the addition of a seven foot one guy. Um, that said, it's tough. I don't see him being a regular fixture of rotation right away. I think he probably comes in behind Kem Birch even as like a backup center option. 
I think by midseason that could definitely change. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised by that necessarily. Um, but I, I, I just think there's a lot in the way of Christian Coloco from getting into the lineup. It's not like he's a guard. It's not like Malachi Flynn, for example, where while he's probably on the outside looking in right now, he's not so far out of the range of a rotation spot just by pure guys in front of him. Like, he could find himself getting regular minutes within the first month of the season if one guy goes down or if one guy performs poorly. Whereas with Christian Coloco, it's going to require the pressures of Chua thing not going super well. It's going to require them playing, you know, Thad Young not at center at all. It's going to require them not playing their small ball starting five that they used last year with Scotty or Pascal or OG kind of filling in at center. It's going to require Ken Birch losing his job real quick. Like, I, I just feel like there's too many obstacles in the way of Coloco from just getting him into the rotation right away. But, you know, that said, he could be easily a guy that they bring up from the G League midway through the year, the Norm Powell track or whatever it might be. Maybe Ken Birch doesn't perform very well. Maybe Ken Birch is deemed like a guy that they might try to trade at the deadline in sort of like a Jared Sullinger and two picks for P.J. Tucker type of situation where it's just looking for a different piece that fits the roster a little bit better, maybe a little bit less surplus to requirements, which is kind of what it feels like, honestly, Ken Burch is at this point, which is a shame to say. Um, but like that, to me, could be the thing that opens up room for Coloco. Or maybe Coloco just kicks ass in the preseason and they have to reevaluate everything. And maybe Christian Coloco is your backup center and you're just rolling with him like that. And maybe they sort of realize, oh, maybe pressure's a chew, and maybe we slide him more to the four. Maybe he's more of a wing. Maybe the, the big man experiment with him is not really the, the end outcome here. I don't think that's the most likely outcome here, but it's certainly possible. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that the fact that he's a seven-foot-one guy who can finish a lob and stuff like that, like that is going to be a thing the Raptors are going to need at some point. We saw way back in the day, like Bebe Noguera finding himself regular minutes just because, hey, a guy who can go up and catch the ball and dunk it is a pretty valuable commodity, especially for a team that's looking for a little more rim pressure, looking for more catch-and-shoot three-point opportunities, and running a little bit more spread pick-and-roll, which they don't do very much, and they probably aren't going to do that very much this season either. But if they can get Christian Coloco kind of working in the area where, you know, he kind of can, can can eat, maybe that opens up a little bit of rotation time for him. I don't think it's going to be right away. But, yeah, I could see it happening by midseason for sure if things fall certain ways. It just feels like there's a lot of guys in his way of getting to regular rotation minutes. Very good question, though. All right, we're going to continue on, round up the show in just one second here with a couple more mailbag questions. we got some good ones on. Uh, you know, who might improve the most from downtown this season, uh, and a couple other ones. Jay Crowder, maybe he's a guy the Raptors might want. He is a wing. That That is the thing they like. We'll get to that in just one second. But first, a reminder, Locked at NBA right now is counting down the 50 best players in the NBA per bet online and their 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 assessment of the value of each player how they move the lines when they're in or out of the lineup so go to the locked in nba youtube channel see there all the hosts breaking down the seedings for their players i talked about scotty barnes at number 49 fred van vliet at number 46 and pascal siakam at number 30 which is insane go check it out locked in nba on free on youtube and on your favorite podcast apps the NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's round up the show here. A few more questions to dig into. This one comes from 
those guys underscore TG asking, would Jay Crowder interest you? Very simple here. Look, in a vacuum, yeah, it'd be great. Jay Crowder, like he's a guy who's gone to the finals a couple times. He's been on very good teams. He sort of fills in the gaps very nicely on the wings, and you can sort of, you know, continue on the grand tradition of the Raptors only having wings on the floor uh, <laughs> between positions two and five. It totally fits what the Raptors want to do. I just don't really see this one. It's one of those ones where a guy comes available, every Raptors fan's like, oh, they got to go trade for that guy. It's like, this is not how it works. It's not going to happen. And for me, he actually would feel like a bit of a surplus to requirements for me. Like, he's not playing over OG or Scotty. He should, probably shouldn't play over even Thad Young or Otto Porter. Maybe over Otto Porter just because of the durability concerns. But, like, Otto Porter is a very good player and does a lot of good things this Raptors team is going to need. Maybe you could argue Jay Crowder fills in as like a backup to Gary Trent Jr. and is more of a wing, like a, like a guard wing type player as opposed to a forward wing, which he's been at a lot of his stops in the NBA. It's tough. I, I just, I don't really see a pathway there because I don't think you're giving up a whole lot for an expiring Jay Crowder contract. And there's probably teams out there that are a little closer to contention that are going to look at Jay Crowder and say, that guy is our missing piece. We got to go get that guy right now. He kind of feels honestly like the PJ Tucker at the 2017 trade deadline where, you know, he just was such a great addition to that Raptors team that had big designs. The Raptors this season aren't in that same position. And there's going to be other teams more inclined to throw a big package at the, uh, the Suns to go get Jay Crowder, even though maybe his value is a little bit diminished because he's, openly agitating for a trade with his all caps posts on Twitter. Uh, it doesn't seem like the best situation down there in Phoenix right now. Oh boy. Um, when it comes to what you'd give up for Jay Crowder, like I think what I would do is like, I kind of just laid out the last segment, the idea of the Kem Birch plus two seconds situation, like trying to replicate that Jared Selinger deal. It's not a very sexy package by any means, but you get to the deadline the team wants to offload a guy. He's an expiring contract. There's not a ton of leverage there. You're not going to get much for him. Like, in a theory, that would be great. Ken Birch, two seconds, you get Jay Crowder back. I don't see that winning a Jay Crowder sweepstakes, just because, like I said, there's going to be more teams with more to throw at the Suns who will be more inclined to go and get Jay Crowder, thinking he is that final piece to the team. And also, it should be considered, like, Jay Crowder wants to start. It seems like that's the reason for the agitation here, is he's not been guaranteed a starting job with the Suns, as, you know, Cam Johnson emerges and Mikael Bridges is there and Devin Booker. Like, I, I can't blame the Suns for not wanting to start Jay Crowder, but if Jay Crowder wants to start, he ain't starting on the Raptors. There's already, like, a, a starting line of question for the team and weird political games that might have to be played if they are going to make the decision to, you know, bench Gary Trent Jr., whatever, whatever it might be. Like, Jay, Jay Crowder coming in, ain't getting a starting job. Is he going to be happy in a bench role where he is also alongside Otto Porter and Thad Young? I don't think so. Like, it just doesn't feel like the fit for me. So, pretty out on Jay Crowder, even though it would be a nice theory, theoretical fit in a vacuum. But we don't operate in a vacuum, do we? Uh, great question, though. This next one here comes from our pal. Uh, once again, Freddie Rivas asking, asking, which Raptor will have the biggest improvement from three-point range this season? kind of think it might be Pascal Siakam. I, I really do. I, you know, the idea of point Scotty is really kind of embedding into my brain, and I want to see it a whole lot. And if they're able to pull that off, I just feel like the three-point looks that Pascal could get 
would be really good looks. Like he could work as a pick and pop guy with Scotty Barnes or obviously with Fred Van Vliet as he's done before. Um, you know, he worked on the mid-range improvement last year. That was all really nice. He's had moments of being a three-point shooter in the past. He was, what, like 34% last year, an uptick from where he was the year before that. I think 36 is kind of where he's topped out. Um, you know, I, I do think we could kind of see a bit of an uptick here. Again, my favorite trivia question, the Raptors' best corner three-point shooter last season was Pascal Siakam. He was incredible. And if you can just find ways to get him those looks a little bit more often with OG working out of the post, with Scotty Barnes getting downhill with the ball in his hands, like, I feel like he's going to get enough easy looks and a higher volume of looks than he got last year, sprinkle in the odd pull-up from above the break or the pick-and-pop threes above the break, and I feel like the quality of Pascal Siakam's three-point shots is just going to improve. I honestly think the quality of his shots overall is going to improve as Scotty kind of makes his ascendance, just because think of all the times Pascal has driven into nine bodies, just looking for something to create something in the half court for the Raptors. With a little more shooting on the floor, with more Scotty Barnes responsibility, I kind of feel like the looks are going to be easier for Pascal here. It's not going to take so much effort to get to where his spots are. And I could see him having a really nice three-point shooting season, 38, 39, 40%. Like, is that crazy? If he's got a lot of corner looks in there, maybe not. So good question from Freddie. I think Pascal. Also, I just think like the dead cat bounce from the 29% Chris Boucher had last year is probably going to, you know, re result in like a 34, 35% evening off of where he comes in. He was at 39% the year before, like somewhere in the middle there. That would be a very substantial improvement from 29 to 34%. And if that happens, like that is a huge deal for the Raptors as well. So I'll, I'll throw Chris Boucher in as my honorable mention here. Uh, next question here comes from our pal Jade Rich asking, the championship is not expected this season as per Masai, but in a perfect season, what kind of trades at the deadline would be needed to make us a contender if the core steps up to their desired levels and remain healthy? It's tough. Like, not a lot of guys are available at the deadline is the thing. And I guess this is a tough question to answer without knowing exactly the shape of those core guy improvements from a Scotty Barnes. Like, if Scotty Barnes comes out and is, like, a clear all-star player this season, which I don't expect is, that's not a fair thing to heap on him. I think fringe all-star is maybe sort of the way he, where he tops out in year two, which is totally fine. It's awesome. It's very exciting. Um, but, like, if he blows through expectations and is an obvious all-star, is in conversation with Pascal as one of the best players on the team, or is the best player on the team, then maybe you're looking at it as a team that can go and make some noise in the postseason and is not all that far off. In which case... Some sort of deadline move for a Jay Crowder type, some sort of deadline move for, uh, you know, an expiring point guard of some kind who can come in and offer a little bit of relief or, you know, whatever it might be, just the center. You go find a center who can come in and play reliable defense for you and a drop coverage or whatever you might need, a bit of a different look than what you have already. Like, I don't think if the, because like, I don't think there's going to be a player out there available that makes them a contender. I think how this shapes out is the Raptors quickly reveal themselves to be a contender with an, an overachievement once again and then it's about sort of fixing things on the margins i don't think you're going to go and trade for a player this season that changes the overall ceiling of the team as much as you'll hope that the growth internally is so tremendous that the contender is just kind of staring you in the face and then it's like all right how do we tinker here before we go into the postseason but a very good question from jay rich uh and uh hopefully that happens that would be pretty sweet uh let's round this out with one last question i think we have one last question this one comes from 40 and dunking asking which eastern conference team will this be this year's bulls or nets the team that raptors fans root against simply because they are too close to the raptors in the standings 
Got a couple answers for this. For me, actually, the team I was rooting against last year, and I felt bad about it because they were very cool, was the Cleveland Cavaliers. I felt brutal about it because, like, this fun-ass team, they're, like, popping off. It's very exciting. Darius Garland's cool. Jared Allen's blocking shots all over the place and throwing down dunks. Evan Mobley's amazing. But, like, the Mobley versus Barnes of it all kind of soured that feeling a little bit. And the fact that the Raptors were chasing the Cavs also soured my good feelings towards Cleveland. And so I was actually kind of happy when they fell out of the playoffs because I'm a ghoul. Uh, I'm fine to admit that. It's cool. Um, so that was my team for that last year. I think the Cavs are very much a contender for this again this year. You know, they might be a little better than the Raptors in the regular season just because of the top-end talent, but I don't really think that's the case. I think the Raptors, A, have a lot of talent, and B, just be win regular season games. That's what they do. I'm going to count on that until they don't anymore. That's just the way they roll. So... Uh, you know, the Cavs are there for sure. I think it's going to be the Hawks, though. I, I really think, like, there's going to be some good, deep-seated sports hate against Trey Young this year. And I just think, like, the way those teams match up is super fun. The way the Raptors have a lot of counters to Trey Young, mostly being just throw OG on him and let him go to work. Like, you know, th there's there's a fun dynamic there when they play. They're usually pretty entertaining games, very competitive games. So I think the Hawks are probably going to be there. Like those, I could totally see the Raptors and Hawks being in the race for the sixth seed, and that being the team everyone just can't can't stand at all. So, you know, the Cavs are, are the kind of second tier there, and then maybe the Nets or the Heat. Honestly, like I think those teams could kind of be falling back into that range as well. The Nets, I don't totally believe will you know play normal person basketball all season long. Maybe uh, <laughs> maybe I'm naive and they're all together and hanging out and they're all going to be amazing, but also I don't believe anything from the Nets until I see it. Um, so yeah, they, they might be in there, but I think it's the Hawks. And I, boy, do I love disliking Trey Young irrationally. He's really one of those, like, he's right up there with Jason Tatum, I think, as like the dudes who I know are awesome and like everything they do suggests they're awesome that I should like them, but I'm just never going to get it or I'm never going to appreciate it because... It counters to my interests as a Raptors uh, supporter, and also, like, I think I like to have villains in my brain as well. The NBA is more fun when you concoct villains, even if it's fair or not fair. Who cares? It's fandom. No one really gives a damn. Uh, either way, thank you so much for tuning in and sending in your awesome mailbag questions today. Really good ones, up and, up and down, and we'll be back again tomorrow as James Herbert stops by. We're going to take another look at the Eastern Conference, which we're going to do a lot this year because the East is very fascinating. Probably talk a lot about the Celtics and the Nets as well, as uh, James was at Media Day for the Nets yesterday. And uh, we'll get his read on the Raptors coming into the season in addition to that. I promise we will not argue about the Oklahoma City Thunder, which we have done in the past very often, because I hate them and he's a freak who loves them. He texted me. James Herbert texted me last night talking about the, the Thunder. It was sicko behavior. Unbelievable. Either way, James is on the podcast tomorrow. We've got Karina Mustafa on Thursday playing around a what's more likely, and then Louis Zatzman is going to pop by on Friday, and we're going to dig into the Raptors' offense and how the Raptors can improve it, which is going to be very fun and very important to the fortunes of the team this season. Thanks so much for tuning in. A reminder, as I mentioned off the top, contest this week. I will send you a prize for the best insult regarding my horrible posture and the way I slouch every time I sit. Please make fun of me. I would love it. And uh, it also drives some comments, which is also fun too. So if you're watching on YouTube, please do that. If you don't watch on YouTube and want to just see the horrible state of my trapezius and other various muscles in the upper part of my body, uh, that's what better reason could you want for tuning into the show on YouTube? Subscribe there, support the show, leave your comments and insults, and the best one will earn a prize that I will send you later on this week. And uh, with that... 
Thank you so much for making us your first listen of the day. We'll be back again tomorrow. Make your second listen of the day. Locked on Blue Jays, baby, as the Jays beat the Yankees last night. Vlad's going off. They're not letting Aaron Judge hit his 61st home run. It's beautiful. Looks like they're going to be the top wild card team, or there's very likely, or very, I don't want to jinx it. Either way, Locked on Blue Jays is covering you as the Jays go towards the postseason, which start like next week. It's crazy. All right. We'll talk to you again on Wednesday. Bye-bye. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.